trunk, reading the stories that did make it. I'm Hilary B. Bizniaks. Listeners, I'm so excited to welcome back author, podcaster, just general fabulous person, RJ Theodore Recca. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me back. It's wonderful to be here again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last time we were here, we were talking about Cast Off which is the as yet still unpublished third book, fourth book? Third book, yes. Third book in the Perido Shift. Mm -hmm. And we're here today to talk about Flotsam, which has a second edition re-release coming out. uh, I don't know, time is fake. It comes out very, (laughs) very close to the release of this episode. Yes, it will be out February 1st, and it is being re-released yeah, and the irony is that last time I was reading from Cast Off as my trunk story, but it will come out later this year. I'm going to rapid release the entire trilogy. Flotsam and Book Two Salvage are uh, second editions, and Cast Off was never released before, and it will be finally out in the world this year. I am so excited. And those are coming out from Robot Dinosaur Press? Yes, uh, which is a collective, so it's still technically self-publishing, but it is part of a group of self-publishers who are working together in a really collaborative and wonderful, warm way. Yeah, Uh, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more, but uh, suffice to say, listeners will recognize a number of the other collaborators from that collective as (laughs) uh, previous guests of this show as well. Yes, it's almost as if uh, we are all friends <laughs> behind the scenes, yes. Weird how that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, you attract a certain type of person, and all those people are wonderful and love to support each other. <laughs> yes, we love to see it. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're going to be reading out of chapter 11 of Flotsam. Is there anything we need to know before we get into this reading? Um. Just that our main characters have already uh, attempted to fulfill one contract, and um, they pulled up a ring out of the garbage layer of Flotsam's strange um, open-air world, and uh, that didn't work out. Their original <laughs> contract uh, did, not, uh, did not finish. So now they have this ring, and they desperately need to sell it. Fantastic. Okay, chapter 11. The docked tail was as disreputable a place as any establishment in Savrosa that dared to call itself a restaurant. (laughs) Restaurant, as though the food were not an afterthought to the watered-down ale, served to sullen patrons at the long ring-stained bar. One could, and did, count on poor service and little attention if they sat in the dimly-lit booths along the far wall, across the expanse of wobbly-legged tables that customers ignored entirely. (laughs) Patrons either came for the drink and wallowed at the bar, or came for the relative privacy and wallowed in the shadows. 
<laughs> you certainly did not come for the cuisine. The walk there calmed Talus's jangled nerves to some degree. She still felt the chill of horror at Jasper's death, but her heartbeat steadied and her mind cleared a bit with each step. This was not, she told herself, entirely unexpected. All the islands had their industries. Sabrosa's primary export was trouble, and there was little reason to be as nonplussed by it as she'd allowed herself to become. Hmm. Trouble was a long-standing partner of hers. It was not her master. Talus slid into the empty seat of a booth opposite a slim, brown-skinned, cuttered man with a precision-edged goatee and mustache. He was dressed down in blue twill cotton jacket, the primary feature of which was an oversized hood, which he now wore pushed back, freeing carefully groomed hair that fell in loose curls to his shoulders, along with five of the smoothest prayer locks Talus had ever seen. Hmm. Fingerless kid-skin gloves revealed blue-painted nails and a series of tattoos down each finger. Enough to show they were tattooed, not enough to see what the designs were, but Talus already knew. "'I see you got your set finished, Talbot,' she said, signaling to the bartender to ring them around. There was already a full mug of the pitifully pale ale in front of Talbot. The refill was a courtesy. He held up his hands between them and splayed the fingers, as if admiring the inkwork through the gloves. The alchemical sigils that strategically marked the backs of his hands, down to just above the bed of each fingernail, had cost him a small fortune. Mm -hmm. He was not the type to avoid dealing with alchemists if it gave him a shortcut to his heart's desires. Aye, I did. Just got back yesterday, matter of fact. You would have missed me had you come any earlier, you know. Lucky me. Try them out yet? Talbot wiggled his fingers, connecting first his thumb and forefinger, then thumb and middle, and so on to his pinky. Aye, I gave it a go. He raised the mug of ale to his lips to draw out his tail. She raised her eyebrows as a prompt. Hard to say, really, he admitted, when he replaced the mug into its condensation ring on the discolored table. When your fingers are as light as mine to start. She laughed. You were had. His amiable smile soured at her jest. This was the alchemist that helped me transition. They know their stuff. Talbot was not among those who would go anything short of all the way. While others transitioned through surgery or prayed long years for the intervention of one of Peridot's gods, he had gone to a bone alchemist and seen to the process in the most thorough manner. Try something tougher, then, she suggested, not wanting to put his mood off before she got what she came for. Maybe the dock officer's safes? Nah, I've done them. He looked thoughtful for a moment. You're right, though. Need me a challenge to know properly. Wait until they're right healed. Fingers swelled up like corpses under the needle, and they still sting. She nodded, though the corner of her eye tweaked in sympathy. You'll have plenty of chances, no doubt. Somehow folks keep walking around with heavy purses, however often you keep relieving them of the weight. <laughs> His famous smile flashed white teeth set with emeralds. Drinking overpriced, half-watered ale at least didn't stain like the dark stout Talus would have preferred. <laughs> Sparkling green emeralds winked in the center of Talbot's incisors, even in the low light. He'd spent as much money on his looks as on his tattoos especially after he finished his transition and finally felt at home in his bones. Everyone had some interest that they'd tossed money into flotsam for, she figured, and couldn't help but wonder if he'd skipped any necessary maintenance on his ship in pursuit of beauty. With Talbot's mood restored and a fresh pair of ales delivered to the table, Talus leaned forward to get to business. The bar was quiet this morning, and with no music, she felt as though her voice carried farther than she'd like. Mm -hmm. Probably her nerves— but Sabrosa was never what she'd call quiet. 
This afternoon, it was eerily so. Talbot held up a hand before she could speak, though. His grid had lost some luster. I know what you're here to propose, he said. He cast a glance around the barroom at the other patrons. One other booth, its occupant slumped in a sleep. Three men at the bar, backs hunched and noses inches from the tops of their steins. <laughs> the bartender studiously wiping glasses with the discolored cotton rag, trained on his work. All inattentive demeanors, either sincere or practiced. Talbot leaned toward Talus. Their foreheads nearly touched over the center of the table. Word is around you're trying to sell something the wrong people want. Hmm. He didn't ask to see it, or about it, just knew. All she'd said was that he should meet her at the bar, but he knew everything, like she'd proposed it all right there in her message to him. <laughs> That's a bad item you got. He licked his lips and polished off the first mug of ale. Anyone pays you for that, and it's going to wind up taken from them, and them out the price. Hmm. Lucky if that's all they're short at the end of it. Talus put her hands up, a non-threatening gesture. Hey now, since when do we take things other people aren't trying to relieve us of? That's the business. Talbot shook his head. What do you mean, no? You want to test that ink work, but here you won't cargo a stolen item. Out of Sabrosa. She laughed in disbelief. I'd find more nerve on Silver Isles than I'm finding here. You even know what I'm asking you to carry? A tiny bit of nothing, except to the right buyer. Hmm. I don't need to know what it is. I know it's drenched in problems. The authority that had chased me down for it isn't one I'm going out of my way to invite aboard. Talis couldn't believe what she was hearing. Didn't like the feeling that settled into the bottom of her stomach, cold and hard, like she'd swallowed a cannonball. Here she was, so close to what ought to be a payday she could roll around in properly, but coming up with nothing but dead ends. She couldn't afford dead ends. The original contract to fetch the thing was a half-fortune. I can't walk away from that. I spent money and time, risked my neck on fetching it, made promises to my crew, put off repairs on my ship to fund the salvage. I need a buyer. Talbot thumbed one side of his thin mustache. He looked contrite but refused to say what she wanted to hear. Talus, you and me, we have a long-standing business history. But as a friend, I'm telling you to shed that thing. Put it in the nearest bin, or dump it out in the skies, whatever. But you want to be done with it. Go and scrape up some more honest contraband. <laughs> she pursed her lips at him, then blew a short blast of disgusted air. Subthorus's thieves have gone coward. Talbot put a hand on hers. He seemed to want to say more, but she pulled away and stood. She should stay. Get another cargo from him. Get some news from around. There was always something to talk about here. Hells, maybe persuade him to give her a loan. But between the dagger point feeling in her gut and the panic in her mind, she needed to move. Wanted to be far away. Alone. Thanks for the drink, she said, giving him one last angry stare, childishly putting her problems on him for the moment. She willed him to change his mind. Hey, now, I thought you were buying. Can't spare the coin. I'm broke till I sell this thing. He made a face at her, but didn't say another word when she turned and stalked out of the dingy pub. Whew. I love some wheeling and dealing. <laughs> yeah, that's um, that's a scene that's been in that book through all the drafts. Yeah. Um, Talbot not giving Talus what she wants. <laughs> And if I remember, Talbot is uh, kind of our favorite garbage person. 
Oh, no, no, that's Hankirk. Oh, that's Hankirk. That's Hankirk right. Hankirk is the one we want to eat directly into the sun. Absolutely. Um, she does meet Hankirk a couple scenes from there, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, Talbot's a good kid. Just, nice. uh, just not, um, not cooperative at the moment. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, but he does help out later in um, other books. So, so let yeah, no, no, no shame on Talbot. All the cool. shame for Hankirk. Excellent, excellent. Hankirk has a club against uh, we hate. It's the We Hate Hankirk Club. <laughs> it's almost formally organized at this point. Well, I'm very excited to get to read more about Hankirk being garbage. <laughs> he will provide. Don't worry. Excellent. So. Uh, one of the questions I really enjoy asking, because this is still uh, Tales from the Trunk, mm-hmm. is are there any parts of this book that I know has been out for a couple of years now in various editions mm-hmm. uh, that you really liked but ended up having to cut? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, um, the original draft of uh, Flotsam was one of those drafts that I kept revisiting every NaNoWriMo, and mm-hmm. um, I don't think I deleted anything for about six years. So <laughs> it just kept getting more and more bloated, and I tried to entertain more and more thoughts. Oh, what if this? What if this? And um, I've been complimented on the world building of Flotsam. Um, if you read that last version before I actually set it aside and rewrote the thing entirely, mm-hmm. you would probably not compliment me on my world building. You would say, oh my God, let me out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there are a lot of neat things about the world. Um, as I tried to describe at the beginning, Parado is broken. The uh, gods uh, decided that they were going to perform this alchemical rite to mm-hmm. make themselves gods. So before that, they were just, you know mortals uh practicing alchemy and uh in becoming gods they broke the planet and then they decided not to put it all back together again (laughs) but just kind of like stop the explosion in midair and then everybody could just live on that um so that's the weirdness that is peridot and as a result there are these um these little chunks of island set up kind of like lighthouses mm-hmm. and instead of constructed lighthouses with mechanical lights they are um ir- iridescent i mean everything is always iridescent in my books but uh glowing uh pumpkins giant pumpkins on a vine and they're they're gaseous oh, and they very float cool. so they're tethered down to these islands kept on the vine while they ripen and then tended by what I call glow keepers. And so um, in one version of Flotsam, Talus was serving sentence for some crime as a glow keeper. It was a civil service. And mm-hmm. so she had to do like five or 10 years or whatever it was serving on this glowkeeper island and um i always miss that scene um mm. you know it was sort of like a sustenance garden where like there were sheep there were other meal like she just there were always tasks to do mm-hmm. always things to um take care of and i i do miss that scene there was a um a version of flotsam that was a web comic and so i actually drew that scene out Oh, and fun. Uh, I wish I liked it just a little bit more that mm-hmm. I could use it as like a side story bonus content or something. But um, 
the artwork, if I go back to it, you know, I can't stand looking at it. So it's probably never going to see the light of day, but it is out there. So, yeah. um, so it's that's definitely that something happens. that, that is exactly the sort of thing you were asking for the trunked thing that was precious to me mm-hmm. that I wish could exist again in some way. I actually, um, have always planned on writing little side stories and that was when I was going to steal and recast <sighs> and use as just like a, a side story, shared universe kind of thing. Nice. That, uh, I, I really appreciate the moment of pastoralness that mm-hmm. some authors work into their worlds that are otherwise, you know, maybe not so pastoral. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was a whole scene of Talus just mending things you know like knit you know she had like a spool of thread and mm-hmm. she was waiting for a delivery so she could get this other thing and then it came in so she had glue and now she could patch the canvas that tethered the glow pumpkin down and it that was, sounds um, very soothing yeah it's just that sort of like no conflict kind of um scene which of course ended in giant conflict but right. um the, for the moment it was it was beautiful and calm and soothing mm-hmm so, uh, before we talk about what things you love from this book that actually made it in, I did want to <laughs> take another moment to talk about uh, the Robot Dinosaur Press Collective. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, part of the Chipped Cup Collective. Part Robot of the Dinosaur Chipped Press is an immigrant. Yeah, the, the sci-fi fiction, um, the fantasy, and the horror is all under Robot Dinosaur. And there's also a uh, romance imprint under that. Yes, uh, Latte Literary. So if you're looking for um, any level of uh, romance that is kind of, you know, primary to the book, um, mm-hmm. that will fall under that category. So there is there's something for everyone. I think they were um, just talking about somebody had some erotica they were going to put in. Other people just have cozy romance. And so it's all under the Latte name. Yeah. And... Uh, among the contributors to this overall Chipped Cup collective, uh, mm-hmm. we have you, obviously. Yes. We have our very own Merck Van Wolfmore, mm-hmm. yep. uh, whose work we featured recently. Yes. Uh, at this past October, November. I, time is fake. <laughs> what is time? But uh, yeah, Merck's Robot Dinosaur. Um, anthology is kind of where the name came from. Not kind mm-hmm. of. It's absolutely where the name came from for the press. And I think at some point Merck is planning to finish up the robot dinosaur work um, and publish that anthology under the press too. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I am definitely looking forward to that as well. Uh, and also friend of the show, Sarah Locke is yep. <laughs> publishing under the Latte Literary side. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it's it's everyone you know and love from Trunkcast. <laughs> yep, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I know that you have done some work also with Robot Dinosaur from the uh, production side. The uh, your best related work eligible. <laughs> Uh, formatting guidelines. Yes, uh, I did the formatting guidelines. I wrote that out for the press and then was like, this is useful for people for some reason. Uh (laughs) I forget sometimes that I have expertise that other people don't. So um, I do have that available. If you go to rjtheodore.com, you can actually get a copy for yourself that's not 
you know, for us, robot dinosaur related. I should mm-hmm. have all that out for the most part. It and, is, um, you know, whether you are self-publishing only, hybrid, mm-hmm. anything in between, I think that uh, knowing a little bit or having this resource in your back pocket is yeah. super great. Yeah, I just, I want everything to be easy for everybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. The world has been difficult enough. We don't need to make anything else, like, proprietary and, absolutely you know, keep it to ourselves. Yeah. So, uh, with that, I'd love to know what your favorite part, without giving away too much, mm. uh, you got to keep in throughout all of these bloating and rewriting nano-drafts. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny. Um, one of my early editors on Flotsam, Under Harvest Press, talked me into, in the first edition, making the crew a little bit contentious with each other. Mm-hmm. And that always kind of bugged me in that sort of Joss Whedon, like, why do we have to be grumpy oh, uh-huh. sort of thing. And... Um, so I was I was told by this editor, you have a choice. They can either get along with your captain and just be there to make her look cool, mm-hmm. or they can be part of the cast and uh, not always agree with her. But um, which of course is true. I mean, people don't always agree with each other. That part wasn't bad advice. But um, I was pushed to really make. Uh, dinner time awkward, you know, like, mm-hmm. like when you go home to family. Um, and that was something I never really liked doing. So I'm really glad in the second edition that I could back off on a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Talus in the last version, um, utilized some, some convi- uh, what do you want to call it? Psychological techniques. <laughs> it's just negging, basically, uh-huh. to get her crew to do what she wanted. And um, I stripped that right out for this edition. And I'm really glad because it was never my intention that this found family um, be nasty to each other or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, everyone still has their own wants, needs, desires, and goals, of course. And they don't always um, comply with each other's. Mm-hmm. But. Now there's no reason for people to be mean to each other, and I'm, I'm glad. Yeah, because... we love to see that. Exactly. Like what you know, as I said, I don't want the world to be any more difficult <laughs> than mm-hmm. it already is. So in my story, uh, queer is norm. Families can be good to each other. Friends can be supportive, and uh, and we can have those moments, um, even if it's in a side story that I write. You know, that's related to the world where everything is calm and, and quiet and, and pleasant. Yeah, that is very nice to hear. <laughs> uh, and, you know, there, there's there's been uh, some discussion, I think, recently around sort of the uh, Whedonification mm-hmm. of genre for a while. Uh, I mean, there's there snappy dialogue is one thing, yeah. But um, being nasty to people who love you uh, is unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Absolutely. as we said earlier, if you want somebody to hate in this book, you have Hankirk. Yeah. <laughs> so he covers all those bases. He is the cishet white male that you know we needed to uh, direct some frustration at. Mm-hmm. What's really great about Hankirk is. Um, 
he acts like a villain, but he actually is not like the big bad. So, um, it's just really nice to, to, to hate on him, to, Mm -hmm. um, you know, wave your fist at him as you read, but also know that he's like not the big powerful person that he thinks he is. Right. And, uh, and by the end he knows it. (laughs) Very good. Very, very good. And I was just going to say also that like, just because Joss Whedon put snappy dialogue sort of on the map doesn't mean that he has a, you know. He was other not people the first person snappy, to do it. Yeah, yeah. Have been writing snappy dialogue before him, and mm-hmm. we will keep writing snappy dialogue long after he is a, a distant... Forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Distant, distant half-memory. Oh, yeah, wasn't there that guy... Yeah, which is funny because, um, you know, as far as comps go, Firefly is one of my big comps. Mm-hmm. I'd already written Flotsam and someone said, oh, this is a lot like Firefly. And I was like, I've never heard of this. And no. I went and checked out Firefly. And of course, you know, in the time, we thought this was great. And I fell in love with it. You know, I had to um, buy the box set of the DVDs at the time because that was mm-hmm. the only way to find it. There was no streaming at the time. And I... Spent, you know, probably four hours one afternoon driving around trying to find this. Um, And that was, at the time, you know, a great compliment, you know, that this is like Firefly. Mm -hmm. Um, I would hope now that you would say, oh, this replaces Firefly in my heart. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, that, I think we all know that Firefly is is getting stale, moldy, and... um, needs to exist only in the time that it was created and, and not be held up as a, uh, as a beacon of what writing should be in sci-fi. Yeah. But that feeling of like that sort of found family that he almost nailed, um, the feeling of the ship is our home mm-hmm. and, um, hopefully some shenanigans. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's what you're going to get from Plotsam only, with stripping out Joss Whedon's yeah. uh, problematic attitude toward, you know, minorities and marginalized people. If I might suggest a better and more complimentary comp title, I would say that uh, Becky Chambers' Wanderers. Yes. Yeah, that, that is a more recent comp title, and being a book is actually more useful. Mm-hmm. So that's, um, that's definitely replaced uh, Joss Whedon. Yeah, and listeners, if you're looking for found family on spaceships with uh, sort of cozy, some things happen, but uh, we want to keep the family together type thing, Becky Chambers is a uh, a great stop on your way. Yeah, you can start with a long way to a small angry planet, um, and... uh, I also love the the variety of aliens in in those mm-hmm. stories too, and I, that's kind of similar to what I've got going on as well. Even if mine doesn't technically take place in space, although it kind of does later yeah. in the later book. So, um, yeah, uh, figure out how uh, a magic uh, world, a world held together by magic, um, manages to put their airships out of atmosphere is mm-hmm. uh, that's that's something i had to kind of play around with and i was looking forward to that so that happens and casts off um, yeah there's there's a little secret for you nobody knows that yet <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here folks yes. <laughs> you heard it here first folks yes always always with the um 
the expose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a scoop. Yeah. <laughs> um, so before we go, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of questions about you. Mm-hmm. One, do you have anything coming out that you want folks to know about other than Flotsam? Yes. So on Flotsam's book birthday, um, by magical happenstance, I will also have a story out um, from Fireside. I will be the cover story, apparently, for the issue coming out on February 1st. So um, I guess February 1st, I will also have a story out. And that is called Oversharing. And that is actually a flash horror story. Uh, a little bit of body horror. Ooh. Yeah. Um, apparently that's the thing that. that I'm going to be known for soon. Because <laughs> I like, um, when I write my short stories, I do, I do enjoy a bit of horror and body horror especially. Fantastic. Um, I have a strange relationship with my body and my health right now, and that's coming out through the short story writing for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, I just finished reading uh, Caitlin Starling, Starling's The Death of Jane Lawrence, so I'm mm-hmm. in a body horror mood right now. Oh, good. Good. So you will have a little bit of a, a snack for, <laughs> yeah. for continuing that. That's that one's on my list. I haven't gotten horror. to it yet, that's a but... Treat. Yeah, Jane, Death of Jane Lawrence is definitely high on my, my TBR right now. Just got to get to it. I've been working so hard that my uh, reading time has unfortunately been a little bit, uh, I don't want to say sapped, but definitely murdered in some mm-hmm. way. <laughs> reduced. Yeah, reduced. Yeah, I, I, my attention for reading is sometimes a little bit difficult, even in the best of times. Mm-hmm. Uh so I, I would definitely recommend Jane. I would caution you if your reading time is normally right before bed, just to be aware. Oh that... no, I don't read Caitlin Starling before bed. No, she she scares me. So um, I would I would probably read her stuff. You know, like early afternoon. Go get Good. another cup of coffee. Sit down. Um, convince the dog to take a nap uh-huh. and uh, do some reading, which was also my um, video game time. And I will admit that I loaded three days ago Animal Crossing back into the Switch in an attempt to convince myself to play over the weekend, and then I worked like straight oh. till bedtime on Saturday. And Bummer. Then, yeah, so um, I'm going to shame myself on Tuesday night when my partner goes to play uh, Smash Brothers with friends. He's got a standing, you know, play date on Tuesday nights, and mm-hmm. when he takes out Animal Crossing and goes, wait. When did you put in Animal Crossing? And then I will have to I will have to admit that I put it into play and then did not do so. Oh no. Yeah. But soon. Soon, soon I will soon. have rest time. Yes. As soon as Flotsam files are submitted and everybody's got everything they need, I'm hoping to take at least like a solid actual week off. Good. Good. Yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing more about that from you. <laughs> uh and in addition to what do you have coming out, is there anything that you've been consuming media-wise, games, shows, podcasts, anything I, of the sort? I have been just obsessing over Encanto on Disney+. Mm-hmm. Plus. That movie is just, like we were talking about those warm moments and all that kind of thing. Now, it does have a family that um, has a few disagreements and such, but mm-hmm. that's kind of the plot, so we'll forgive them. But at the end, it does um, it does reward you for um, bracing yourself against some family drama. Mm-hmm. But the songs on that, um, 
Lin-Manuel Miranda doesn't know how to make a, a head uh, worm, you know, yeah. rainworm, earworm. That's the word. That's the one. And um, the songs just will not get out of my head. But unlike Hamilton, I don't mind. Like, when I would get Hamilton songs stuck in my head, I would be, like, in misery at bedtime, trying to fall asleep, not being able to. But in Kanto songs, I forgive them. I don't know why. But that, that movie is just beautiful, and um, the the love that the characters do have for each other is genuine, mm-hmm. um, despite how they might act towards yeah. each other um, when they're not thinking about, you know, I need to act with love. But that... You know, there's the plot. Sorry, spoilers. <laughs> um, but it is it is just, I don't know. I, I could sit and watch it three times a day probably at this point and not it's get sick of so it. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, I will recommend whether or not you speak even a single word of Japanese, the Japanese soundtrack. Really? Absolutely I listened slaps. to the Spanish one, but I, I know they did, like, what? They always do, like, 16 languages or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking it would be fun to listen to all of them and hear how the music sounds differently. That's I, That will put that one on next. Um, maybe I'll even... Maybe I can watch the Japanese one on Disney+. Plus. I, I don't know if I can I do that without changing so. all my settings, but um, yeah. that would be fun. Yeah. Yeah, Japanese the, is a beautiful language. I love the way the syllables hit against each other. It so is. So I'm uh, definitely going to follow that. We don't talk about Bruno in Japanese. The Japanese <laughs> version of "We don't talk about Bruno" might be my favorite. Uh, I will have to. I will have to check that out. Maybe I'll check it out tonight. Um, Excellent. My partner is also obsessing with it, so it's um, <laughs> the first time that we're both kind of like in the mood for the same thing over and over and over again. So that's nice. Cool. But other than that, we've been trying to get through Supernatural and Woof. Oh, yeah. That one is that one is a production of its times. Um, oh boy, is it! It wishes it were written by Joss Whedon. Let's put it that way. Yeah, we are only on season five, and I'm just like, oh my god, we have ten more to go. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, you are in double hell right now. Yeah, <laughs> literally, not just figuratively. Um, yeah, I, I know people love it, so that's kind of why we've been sticking with it. But um, it's a lot sometimes. I will be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, finally, before we get going, where can our listeners find you elsewhere? Uh, you can find me at rjtheodore.com, um, constantly posting uh, new books to put out. Um, I yeah. have, yeah, I have Flotsam coming out, and then as soon as Flotsam is out, after I take that week off, I will be starting to promote Salvage, which is going to come out in July. And so um, hopefully there'll be a cover reveal in mid-spring, and then uh, then we will be on our way toward finally letting Cast Off out in December. Oh, that's my plan. So, um, so yeah, uh, definitely check out rjtheodore.com. You can get my newsletter there. I am going to be doing a giveaway um, when I hit a certain metric on how many followers I have on my list. Um, I haven't decided what that is yet, though. <laughs> so um, go go subscribe to my newsletter because I'm going to do a giveaway of Unfettered Hexes, um, the actual physical book, and Fantastic. a physical Oracle deck with it. So um, if you missed out on that with the Kickstarter, um, I'm going to do a giveaway on my newsletter. And then um, also patreon.com forward slash RJ Theodore. Mm-hmm. And Twitter, I am Bitty Bitty Zap, also on Instagram. So those are pretty much all the places that I am active. Fantastic. Uh, and I will mention We Make Books. Oh, um, yeah. So we haven't done a new episode in a while. I have one in the can to edit, and I have um, had a lot of trouble 
my uh, co-host and I just like cannot seem to arrange our schedules to record mm-hmm. new episodes. So honestly, um, We Make Books is probably fading away, but it is going to remain online and it does have a lot of great content for people, again, who are um, new to the process of putting books out, whether mm-hmm. you self-publish or you want to follow a traditional path. Um, that's got a lot of information and I'm not going to take that down if we if we go away. Yeah, but, I, th- uh, I think even if it is on definite or indefinite hiatus mm-hmm. that uh, there's just a lot of great information and a lot of heart in that show. Yeah. I really yeah, appreciate we're both, it. Both Kay- Kaylin and I are really um, passionate about what we do, so I think that does come through. Yeah. Uh, and you've had some really great guests uh, <laughs> yes. in the past. Some of the shared uh, universe of Trunkcast and We Make Books. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, yeah, we've, we've tried to get professionals in whatever topic we're talking about if it's if we're not the professionals then we try to get somebody who is on and we have a great episode from the 2019 nebulas where we interviewed all sorts of people that we encountered there including oh, yeah. john scalzi um Kaylin was just like in shock that i was like I'll, I'll just go grab john scalzi and she's like how do you just walk up to john scalzi and grab him i'm like well funny thing he's human so i'm just going to approach him and ask him if he'd like to be on it and he said sure so um that's how you get john scalzi is you just uh you make yourself very convenient he's for a him very approachable yes person yeah he's not like he's you know he's human yeah. Everyone's human. It's and as long guy. as somebody knows they're human and you treat them like a human, it's pretty easy to have a conversation, I found. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will also recommend, I know it is not technically a We Make Books, but your uh, conversation with Jennifer Mace about murder oh, yeah. yeah, we carried that one forward from an older podcast of mine. Um, I have always had co-hosts and... Um, you know, having a co-host is honestly one of the things that does tend to get difficult um, mm-hmm. when it comes to podcasting. So, um, but I like doing it. I like having a conversation. I've tried to do a podcast by myself and it ends up just like a rambly mess. So, um, I, yeah. I, in fact, I introduced a new podcast on my Patreon of just me. And I called it Waypoints because it specifically between two spots from my doctor's appointments that I go to. And if I don't stop by the time I get to the second one, I'm done anyway. So I can't ramble. And that is how I decided to control my rambling when I do a podcast by myself about mm-hmm. my own process. So um, that was the only way to do it um, without a co-host. But yeah, I, I mean, I like to talk to people. And yeah. I, I do miss having the regular podcast, but I just, I don't know what happened. Suddenly there's just no time anymore. Yeah. Time is fake and also non-existent. Yeah, and you can't have any. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Rekka, thank you so much for coming on the show once again. It's been such a delight. I am looking forward to being able to collect all of the Peridot books. Yes, and they're going to be in hardcover now, which is really cool. So uh, apparently I've I've made a, a conundrum for people because the paperback has the old cover artwork Mm-hmm. duplex printed on the inside of the cover so the paperback is extra cool 
And then um, also it comes in hardcover, which is extra cool, but it does not have the inside covers. So oh. I've, I've already been told that that made it hard for someone to decide which version <laughs> they wanted. So I'm thinking about maybe getting stickers printed of the old artwork to pr- send to people that they can <laughs> stick on the inside of the cover of the hardcover. Um, I was just going to say... Uh... Eldorado both is good dot gif. Okay, well, yes, but I'm not going to ask anyone to spend the. I think that comes to like forty five dollars to buy both. Fair at enough. At this point, but um, yes, uh, both is good for yeah. sure. I appreciate anyone who supports me by buying both. Uh, well, I, I, as an owner of the first edition uh, <laughs> Parvis versions of your first two books, I will be buying the hardcovers since <laughs> well, I already you. have that artwork okay well thank you for that support too i do appreciate that and hey if anybody buys like if they have a copy of the original and they buy a copy of the new one and you want like the ebook or something just send me an email and i will happily send you the ebook and thanks for supporting me for the hardcover editions because i know sometimes we want to collect the pretty thing but we Mm -hmm. also want to sit and read on our our e-reader devices so yeah yeah um i'm you know, the nice thing about self-publishing is I can just say, here, you have that, too. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. Yes, and thank you for having me again. It's so wonderful to be here. And of nice course. to see another face. I miss faces. Honestly. I miss faces, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, the best part about doing an interview format show is that you just get faces yes. all the time. Faces are faces are what we live for, and unfortunately, they are being doled out in small amounts these days. Hopefully, if you're if you're like me, um, can't see too many faces anymore. Yeah, my my social isolation is probably never going to end. Unfortunately, so I will come on any podcast as many times as I am invited for sure. Well, I'll invite you on the podcast again. I heard <laughs> you have a book coming out in December. Yes, and July and December. And July. And then hopefully I can move on to self-publish one of my other books that's in the queue. So um, there, there's going to be more content. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. We love to hear it. Thank you. <laughs> Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. Our theme music is Paper Wings by Ryan Boyd. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a sticker and logo button, along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can find the show on Twitter, at TrunkCast, and I tweet at HBBizniex. If you like the show, consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, don't self-reject. Don't self-reject.